If you turn your Bibles to John chapter 7, pick up in verse 25, and really this is a continuation of the message that we started last Sunday. And in this passage, we find the most important of all questions that are ever pondered, considered, or asked for every human being while they're here on this earth. You see, because it really doesn't matter who I think Jesus is with regard to you. It matters who you think Jesus is. And furthermore, the decision that you will make regarding that one question is in effect the only entrance exam there is to heaven itself. Scripture is very clear, and in fact we'll look at those verses towards the end of this message this this afternoon, that Jesus has pronounced himself to be someone that is unlike any other. He is in fact God incarnate in human flesh. John chapter 1 bears that uh, designation for him. He's Emmanuel. John the Baptist in introducing Jesus said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The question is, do you believe it? Who is he to you? And it is that debate that rages in our world yet today. And it was that debate that was going on when these words were penned some 2,000 years ago. The debate about Jesus. There were three groups that we looked at last time. We'll look briefly at them this time. But as we dig in... I ask you the question, who is Jesus? Father, we thank you for this time in your word, and we pray that from heaven you would reach into this congregation and minister to our hearts and our minds, our wills, our spirit, the truth about Jesus. Father, we thank you for your goodness to us, that you would send your own son into this world that through him, those who believe would be saved is an amazement to us. We've tried it our way. Some in this room have tried religion. Some in this room have tried works. Some in this room have tried ignoring the situation altogether. But we pray that you would speak to us through your word about your own son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Verse 25 here in John chapter 7, we'll take down to verse 36, and really a bit of a review, so we'll read it as a unified whole. And now some of them from Jerusalem said, is this not he whom they seek to kill? But look, he speaks boldly and they say nothing to him. Do the rulers indeed know that this is truly the Christ? However, we know where this man is from. But when the Christ comes, no one will know where he's from. And then Jesus cried out as he taught in the temple, saying, You both know me, and you know where I'm from. 
I've not come of myself, but he who sent me is true, whom you do not know. But I know him, for I am from him, and he sent me. And therefore they sought to take him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. And many of the people believed in him and said, When the Christ comes, he will do more signs than these which this man has done. And the Pharisees heard the crowd murmuring these things concerning him, and the Pharisees and the chief priests and officers to take him. And then Jesus said to them, I shall be with you a little while longer, and then I go to him who sent me. And you will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. And then the Jews said among themselves, Where does he intend to go that we shall not find him? Does he intend to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks? What is this thing that he has said? You will seek me and not find me, and where I am you cannot come. And so in this group, we see really three groups who are debating about who Jesus is. And in them, you can see types of many different people groups today. And I will modernize this in a few moments, and we'll look at the world's three largest other religions, apart from biblical Christianity, and kind of see where they fall on this spectrum. You see, the first group should have been the group that knew who Jesus was. And in fact, Jesus eventually will confront the scribes and the Pharisees and he will actually say to them uh, a number of occasions that they actually would read the Bible, they would find him. And I'm paraphrasing. He's already said to them, you search the scriptures for you think that in them you have life, but they speak of me. Jesus is speaking to the only group of people on the face of the earth that at that time had a monotheistic religion. In other words, they believed in one God. And in the Jewish people's case, they believed in the one true God, Yahweh Lord of hosts. And in fact, they had a relationship via the sacrificial system that God had personally given to them. And they're now in the middle of celebrating a feast, the Feast of Tabernacles, where they're remembering the deliverance of God, how God had delivered them out of the bondage of Egypt. They celebrate Passover. The angel of death has passed over them. They celebrate they've been in the wilderness and then delivered. They're living in these little booths, and they're about to be released from those booths to go back to their home, remembering the freedom that they now have because God set them free. And so it is that group attached to the temple ministry that are sitting there engaged in the things in the temple, very elaborate ceremony. They're they're in eyesight of the temple courtyards themselves. And they're able to see with their own eyes all of these things that if they would stop for a few minutes and ponder them, they would see Jesus all over the temple mount. So one group is very religious. The next group is probably the largest of the groups, and they're the people that came to the city of Jerusalem for a myriad of reasons, many of them to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, 
many of them to profit from the celebration of the Feast of Tabernacles. There's some extra retail sales going on on that weekend. They're able to sell the sticks and the branches used for the booths. They're able to sell the vines. They're able to sell the fruit that are used for the celebration of the feast. And so there would have been a whole bunch of people who were just there because it was a popular thing to do. Can I tell you there's an awful lot of people on this earth that hang around church or religion because it's the popular thing to do? For a lot of different reasons. The third group, mostly Jews, who had become completely used to seeing religion every single day. They had to pass by the temple complex. Herod's temple at this time is still on the Temple Mount. This incredible edifice that stood over a hundred foot tall, gilded on many of its surfaces with gold. The rest of it would have been limestone and marble. You could see it from miles away. It glistened in the sun. They could hear the bleeding of the sheep that were constantly all throughout the day being slaughtered. Their blood drained out poured onto the altar, that smoke going up before the Lord. Part of the goat would be separated unto the priest and part of it burned up as an offering to God. They got completely used to the sights, the sounds, the smells of religion. So much so that it was fairly meaningless to them. Those three groups still exist in our world today. And a few others as well. You see, that's the debate. It is these people who had a glimmer, had a glimpse of who Jesus actually was that are staring right at Jesus, but they don't see him. They don't know him. He's literally standing in front of them, and they're like, who are you? And here's the problem. Jesus is going to make some declarations as we travel through the Gospel of John that are so exclusive that if they are true, which I personally believe they are, they do not leave room for another competing truth. You see, by its very nature, if we were to talk about the science of logic, if two things purport to be true and they are about the same basic subject, both of them cannot be true if they are different. There can only be one of them that's true. So if Jesus declares he's the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by him, and there are other roads that purport to lead to heaven so that you can go to heaven, only one of those can be true. That's the world we live in. And so when you talk to people about God, you very rarely find any disagreement amongst people about talking about God. Because you can talk about God in many different senses. He's a creator. He's an omnipotent being. He he maybe is not the Savior, but people believe in a higher power. But that's not what Jesus is saying. 
He has declared himself to be equal with God. He is going to say seven different times, I am. Using the holy name that the Jewish people would not utter because it was so holy. They would use YHWH. So much so today, if you write it in English, the Jewish people don't spell God's name with the O in the middle. They put a hyphen in there. It's G hyphen D. Jesus is claiming to be that God. And he's claiming that he is the only way to heaven. And he's already told them, because of what they currently believe, where he's going, they can't go. That's pretty exclusive. Doesn't leave open to interpretation much. Other than is it true or is it not true? You see, when we talk about salvation, and I want to be accurate here, when we're talking about the doctrine of salvation, we're talking about soteriology. The doctrine of salvation. How does one become saved? But there are all kinds of questions that go along with that because some people believe, is there anything that is salvation? Is it even necessary? Should we even care? Can one actually go to heaven? Is there a heaven? There's all kinds of other questions. But for the sake of what Jesus is saying, because he's already said, you can't go where I'm going, it's pretty clear that there's some place he's going to go that the people that are listening should want to go, but they can't. So how do you get there? How is one saved? Is Jesus really the only way? Do all roads lead to heaven? You see, when you talk to people today, we live in a pluralistic world. People like choices. And one of the things that's the most common knock on biblical Christianity, those of us who happen to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and he meant what he said, is that the way is too narrow. And it will usually be followed by, do you mean to tell me that those who practice Islam are not going to heaven? Without a personal relationship with Jesus, that is exactly what I mean. Do you mean that people who practice Buddhism, you mean Buddha and Jesus are not the same guy? That is exactly what the Bible says, and that is exactly what I declare to you. Matter of fact, Buddha never claimed to be Jesus. He claimed to be part of a way. Are Allah and Yahweh the same person? You mean that Muslims don't worship the same God? That is exactly what Jesus says. And so I want to look at these three world religions briefly, each one of them, for the purpose of highlighting the methodology whereby someone might reach God 
via that religion. Let's begin with Buddhism. You see, the problem that Gautama, who is the founder of Buddhism, stumbled upon was that there was death and there was suffering in the world, and he had a problem with death and suffering. I think most people have a problem with death and suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people, and why do good things happen to bad people? I think most of us think about that very thing. And so his question led to yet another question. Is it just these endless cycles of living out a life? Is Because he believed that the one way that you could make it better is by doing better the next time you came back around. And so endless cycles of reincarnation were in view. Now I'm telling you, for me personally, I don't care how many times I get reincarnated, I ain't making it. And the reason being is I know me. You could send me back as a frog or a flea or some kind of microbe, and I'm still going to mess up. And while I don't intend to be mocking here, I'm simply saying, so endless cycles of reincarnation are supposed to provide a way for you to finally get it right. To define that, there were four noble truths and then a path that had eight steps along it. And those, those truths were basically that you had to recognize that there was pain and suffering. It's just true. Death, sickness, old age, all of it. Now, all of us agree with that, amen? As you get older, you realize, you know, I I started thinking, this might be the last car I have to buy. Last house you might live in. Oh, I wonder if I get sick, if I'm going to make it, you know, you start thinking that as you get older. Because it's it's evidence that we're human. We are all going to die. That's a truth. The second truth was that the reason that people suffered was not because everything was bad, most everything was neutral, it was what you did with it. And again, most of us agree with that. You see how it appeals to our minds. So wealth, too much of it leads to greed. Power, too much of it leads to narcissism. And so on and so forth. So the second noble truth is you had to get rid of those cravings. I don't know about you and cravings, but I'm not too good at getting rid of a couple of them. So I'm coming back a whole bunch of times. And so is everybody else that I've ever met. Ultimately, you get rid of all your desires. And then finally, at the end, you reach the state of nirvana where your your flame, your candle of your life is snuffed out and you become one with the cosmos. It kind of sounds like to our flesh, you know, that's not a bad deal. I work it out, I go around a few times. I might just make it. The only problem? There's no promise to any of it. You could do good on your second reincarnation, bad on your third, and you're back to square one. You see, Buddha never promised that you'd actually ever get there. When you think on these things, all of the steps included things like no destruction of life, so you ended up having to become a vegetarian. That by itself would kill me. (laughs) 
I just probably give up. I don't know. But all of these steps along the way were just ways to earn some type of favor. Your Bible says, by the works of the flesh, no one is justified. And that in me dwells no good thing. And that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's why we need God's grace. So this way is exactly what the Bible says you can't ever achieve. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, 9 rings so loudly in our ears as believers. For by grace you've been saved through faith and that not of yourself. It is the gift of God lest any of us should boast. I'm, I'm a child of God because I believe that Jesus Christ died on Calvary's cross for my sins. And I received that gift of his sacrifice in my place. And because of that, my sins have been erased by his blood. Not anything I did. It's what he did in my place. Amen? So this first way, oh, it sounds good. It results in very kind people. I, I read one of the Dalai Lama's books. I can't remember the name of it. I'm drawing a blank on it right now. But he's a brilliant guy. Very intelligent. Extremely kind. And so it isn't about lack of intelligence or massive intelligence. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you know. It's about who you know. It's the answer to the question, who is Jesus? Because to a Buddhist, he's a great teacher. How about Islam? I've had many people tell me that they believe that Allah and Yahweh are the same person. But there's a fundamental problem with what Islam actually teaches. Because Islam does not teach that. So when someone comes to me and says, well, you know, if you believe in the one true God, because Islam is monotheistic. Biblical Christianity monotheistic. Judaism, monotheistic. There's one God. The only problem in Islam, one of the tenets of the faith, is God has no son. So the words of Jesus are a competing truth. So either the prophet Muhammad is correct and God has no son, or Jesus is correct and he is God's only son. They can't both be true. So the five pillars. Speaking this profession of faith. There's no God but Allah. Allah has no son. So he's either not Yahweh... Or Jesus is a liar. You can't have it both ways. So that road can't lead to the same place that Jesus is talking about. As much as I wish it did. People will often ask, they say, well, what do you think? I go, it doesn't matter what I think, it matters what Jesus said. I can tell you what I wish and what I think all day long, and it won't save you. Jesus Christ alone can save you. 
All the prayers in the world can't save you. All the fasting in the world can't save you. All of the paying of tax for the poor cannot save you. And no amount of pilgrimage to anywhere, including Mecca, can save you. He who believes in me, Jesus said, though he would die, yet he or she shall live. Allah does not promise that. What the Quran teaches is at the end of your days, your good works and your bad works will be put on the scales. And he will check and see if they balance. And if your good works outweigh your bad, then you will likely be ushered into paradise. But that's not necessarily good if you're a woman. You see, because men and women are not treated equally under Islam. So does God love the whole world, or does he not love the whole world? Or does he love some more than others? You see, you have a fundamental problem if at the end God is going to judge your works. Now see, God is going to judge our works, but he's going to judge them in Christ Jesus for the purpose of reward, not for salvation. Very different. You see, it's off just a little bit. It's kind of like the three groups that were debating who Jesus was. Oh, they saw church. They saw the sacrifices. They saw the effort. It took immense effort to be a faithful Jew. The amount of things that you need to remember to do on any given day. I mean, just keeping the Sabbath is difficult. You travel to Israel today. One of the things I always remind everybody, you get in the hotel on Friday, you need to look at which elevator you're getting in. If you're in a multi-story hotel because you cannot do any work on the Sabbath, the elevator stops on every floor on the Shabbat elevator. Because pushing the buttons work. See, it sounds good. Sounds holy. But nobody's getting saved by being in the right elevator. You're going to be saved by being elevated by Jesus Christ. And then the world's third other religion. And by the way, you're talking about at least 85% of the entire world believes in one of these four, either biblical Christianity, Hindu, Buddhism, or Islam. And so there's a lot of ways that people see God. But they can't all be true. Hinduism is much like Buddhism. Varies based on your class. What caste you're born into. It has within it a component that you need to believe in at least one of the several thousand gods, plural, So if there's one God, you really have a problem by the time you get to Hinduism. 
Furthermore, what most people, and people come and say, is it okay for Christians to practice yoga? And I'll usually say something along these lines. If you're talking about the exercise part of it, if you want to try and bend yourself into the downward-facing dog, whatever it is, if you can do that, praise the Lord, I can't. I hurt just watching it. But there is another part of it. Yoga is actually part of the Hindu path towards enlightenment and salvation. So you need to be really, really, really careful if you are practicing a Hindu yoga practice, chances are, at least from a Hindu perspective, you're actually practicing one of the three major ways of salvation for a Hindu. So be careful. You might want to think about it a little bit. You see, all of these various world religions promise in essence to liberate you from this earthly existence that we now currently are in. And so those, those goals of life are pretty noble. I mean, who doesn't want to do less harm? Amen? I, I don't want to harm anyone. Neither did Jesus. So it sounds good to my flesh. Unfortunately, when you're talking about the moral aims and all those kind of things, there is no more contrary place on the face of the planet to the realization of the very things that are within the tenets of Hinduism than the world's most Hindu Hindu country, which is India. People leave children on the side of the road to die. Because in doing good to someone who's of a lower class, you might possibly infect yourself with their bad karma. Cows survive because they're holy, and people die because they're hungry. The world's most polluted river is the mother river, the Ganges. Very common to see dead people floating down it. And yet it's holy. There's something seriously amiss about that. So it brings us back to the discussion. Back to the debate. I don't think it's yoga. I don't believe that it's the five pillars of Islam. I do not believe It's the four noble truths and the eightfold path. I believe the only one who can save is Jesus. That's the argument that Jesus is making in front of these people. He's saying regardless of what you know about Judaism, Judaism was to point to Messiah. And Messiah is standing right in front of them. They can't see him. That's how blind we can be. And family, this debate is going to eventually get Jesus killed in that sense. Though it was always God's plan that the Son of Man would come into this world, that the world through him would be saved, and his death was necessary on the cross to pay the debt of my sin, the human reasoning, the reasoning why it happened 
was because Jesus claimed to be God. And he claimed to be the only way to get to heaven. And by the time we get to chapter 14, he's just going to flat out say it. He's not going to dance around the issue anymore. He's going to just speak it right to them. Now remember, he's talking to Jews. And so he says to them, he looks at them, and he's basically questioning their biblical knowledge. You guys remember the prophet Isaiah? Wasn't he the, wasn't the Messiah supposed to be the child that was born and the son that was given? Whose son was he? Homework for you, the 30th chapter of Proverbs, it answers the question. You, you see, they were looking at this from an earthly perspective. And Jesus was trying to take them into the heavenlies. Within six months, he's going to be back where he came from. Oh, he was the child that was born, but he was the son that was given. And his father sent him to earth to die in your place and mine on Calvary's cross. You see, so when Jesus goes on and continues to say who he is, there is zero debate as far as the Bible is concerned. Whether you're looking at the Old Testament or whether you're looking at the New, it all points to the coming one. It it all points to Jesus who is the Christ. You know, as you you think on, on who Jesus is to you, you see that's where we started. I can't answer that question for you. I can tell you who he is to me. Jesus Christ is my personal Savior and He's my Lord. I have believed on His name and because of that, I am a child of God. I have asked Him to forgive my sins and He has. And the result of that is one day I get to go home where I really belong, which is a mansion in heaven that He's making for us right now. And the reason I'm saying this this way, the question is yours to answer. You see, I can't answer for you. When I get to heaven, I don't know how many of you ever traveled in a group, but when we travel specifically to Israel, because I'm normally the, the, the pastor that's in charge of the whole group, they actually grill me for the whole group. And, and they will go, do you know this person? Are you traveling? You know, because the... The Israeli defense forces are, they're pretty good at what they do. Is she with you? Uh Uh-huh. Okay. They trust me for other people. Get to heaven? I can't vouch for you. Jesus has to vouch for you personally. That's why these incredible passages that you have before you, and the greatest of which to me really is this incredible, outside of Jesus, no one nails it like Peter does in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 4. He's preached one sermon and thousands come to faith. He's preached another sermon and more come to faith. And now this is his third sermon that he preaches in the fourth chapter. 
And he's speaking to a Jewish audience, and he says this, verse 10, Acts chapter 4, Let it be known to all of you, to all of the people of Israel, that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole. As he points, and here's, here's Lazarus. Can you imagine? I remember what his own kinfolk said about him. He stinks. He's dead. He's don't, do not open that grave. Notice what Peter goes on to say. Who is it? This is the stone, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rejected by you, the builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There isn't another name. There's not noble truths in a path. There's not five pillars. There isn't one of many thousands of God. It's not if you bend and twist and contort in some yoga pose indefinitely until you finally give up the ghost of all that's bad within you. One name. His name is Jesus. The only question is, who is he to you? Would you stand with me? In actuality, no other world religion actually promises to get you to heaven. Only Jesus promises that. And so my question is this. Maybe you're here today and you've been like one of the first three groups that we saw that were there with Jesus. Oh, you've been around a religion all your life. Maybe you thought before today that you were saved because your parents are Christians. Maybe you come from a long line of Christian people. Maybe you believe because you're an American, you're by default a Christian. Also not true. Maybe you've been trusting in some other way, some other work. Let me be very clear. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There's only one way. There's only one truth. There's only one life. And no one gets to the Father but by Him. That name is Jesus Christ. If you're here today, And I'm going to ask Christians, please bow your heads right now and begin to pray. If you're here today, and if you were to die on your way home, you don't know for sure that you'd be present with the Lord when you're absent from your body. You don't know Jesus personally, but you want to. I want to give you an opportunity to confess Him right now. Just simply slip your hand up in the air and we're going to pray together right where you're at. You want to know Jesus. I see that hand. 
see that hand in the back. See this hand here in the middle. See these hands. See this hand to my right. Those hands in the back. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. The gospel is simple. Jesus loves you. He came to die in your place to prove that to you. Just raise your hand. We're going to pray right where you're at. Very simple prayer. Gospel is not complex. It's very simple. Anyone else? Hands up all over the sanctuary. I see that hand as well. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord for the work of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, call people into salvation right now, please. We're begging you, don't let them leave this place without you, Jesus. Anyone else? See that hand as well. Be brave and be bold because God loves you that much. Praise God. For those that have raised your hands, you can put your hands down now if you would. And you need to pray from your heart. I can't pray these words for you. I can lead you. But you have to believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is. He's God's own son come in human flesh. God died on the cross for you. He died in your place. And by believing in him, he will impart his righteousness to you and give you eternal life by forgiving your sin and inscribing your name in the Lamb's book. So as we pray, you're praying because you believe these things. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, I believe in Jesus. And Lord Jesus, I thank you for dying on Calvary's cross. That you died in my place. That your death was enough to pay the price for my sin. And I'm asking you to forgive my sin and to write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life. Thank you for saving me for the new life that I have in Christ. Help me to walk with you all of my days. Help me to forsake my old sinfulness. Thank you, Lord, for the salvation gift that is so rich and so free. In Jesus' name, amen.